Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast brought to you by RIPodcast.net. This is episode 500, recorded live on Sunday, February 19th, 2017. And here are your hosts, the man who spoke the first words on this podcast, Dave Pillay. Hello. The man whose laptop was there recording said first podcast, Andy Lowe, hi. And the man who was our first guest way back in episode 24, Zach Weigel. Hello, hello. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, you are correct. This is episode 500. So should we get like a, a cheering crowd to play in the background here? Is that where we need to be? I don't know. I broke out some Is bones. that how far we've come? Is that we've got like a, cheers, 500. Uh, I, I I broke out some bubbly and by bubbly since, you know, it's... Verners. Uh, actually, no, we don't actually have any Verners. I broke out the Mexican Coke. Okay. I was thinking if, if you had told me that that's what you're going to do for the intro, I would have gone back and re-listened to the very first words that we spoke and I would have done that again. I think it's something like, okay, are we ready? I think it was <laughs> the, you actually were telling me to start the episode, even though you had started the episode by telling me to start. Okay, that sounds about right. Yeah. <clears throat> it's come a long way in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> come so far, and yet not at all. Hi, Zach. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, I can't believe it's been 10 years. Yeah, no, oh I, my God. I actually looks, looked back to actually figure out the last time you were on the episode. Uh, episode 119 was the last time we had spoken with Zach, but I thought it would be appropriate, him being the first guest, to be our guest for the 500th episode. That sounds I'm, right. I'm, I'm poetic like that. But yeah, no, it's a voice we have not heard in <laughs> almost a decade. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, sounds like, uh, I mean, now, now we're, you guys have kids and are getting married and I guess I'm trying to think I'm probably, I'm, am I the age now? The last 10 years, Zach, huh? What's that? So what have you done with 10 years? Uh, not a lot, man. We're just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so much to do. And he's 10 years wasted. I just got married. Zach's, you got know, this, uh, helping out tons, nonprofit charity organization. Yeah. Yes, that uh, uh, was largely largely started thanks to a suggestion from Mr. David Play. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, for those of you who maybe did not hear episode 24, uh, many years ago, David and Anthony, we were uh, on this this podcast together talking about the formation of. I don't even know if it was. I don't know if it had a name yet, but we were. Well, we were talking about the formation of what is now Gamers Outreach, Gamers Outreach Foundation, and uh, it all kind of spawned out of a canceled Halo tournament. And I don't think a charity organization would exist if it hadn't been for Mr. Play saying, "Hey, you know what, Zach? Uh, since you're going to be doing this charity event." Uh, you might want to look into, into creating an actual like 501c3. Oh, what's that, David? Yeah, it's like the uh, entity you can form so that when people donate, you know, they can. It's all legit. They can write it off on taxes and you know help you uh, interact like with charities. Big donors. Yep, yep. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So I went over to Borders Bookstore, <laughs> which actually is wow, wildly enough. Yeah, there's, there's another ten years ago. Yep. And, and uh, I think borders. I, yeah, man, I think I sat for a day and picked up nonprofit kit for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And literally uh, read through the book and uh, they had like a, they had instructions on basically what you do to create a nonprofit. And so I started writing up our bylaws. We found a lawyer to help us file some paperwork. And uh, we got our 501c3 status and that was it. That was uh, the creation of Gamers Outreach. So. It took a, a little bit to get the status, though, right? Like there was a there's a fair amount of work involved in that. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think the hardest part is figuring out what you need to do, honestly. Um, and I, the the work really comes when you have to write out exactly. You have to get really specific about what you're doing. You have to make sure what you're doing fits within the. Um, sort of definition of being a tax-exempt organization, um, which honestly, I wouldn't say, I, I don't think it's too difficult necessarily. It's more, from, a, from a, um, a language perspective, it's not necessarily hard. I think it's just hard really focusing on what it is your organization's going to be doing and why um, a tax-exempt status makes sense. Um, and then finally, the paperwork can be a little bit of a, a daunting task because there's some there's some legal um, things to do. And we, we hired a lawyer. I think I want to say I think it ended up being like somewhere around eight hundred dollars or so um, to have him help us like file the paperwork and, and do that. So I I wrote most of the language, and then he went through and um, created some like generic bylaws for us that we could kind of operate by uh, when we had our, our board meetings. And um, and then you submit that to uh, you know your state government. 
and hopefully they approve you. And then you have to follow up with the IRS to um, get your 501c3 status, which is how people deduct things from their taxes. And um, then you're kind of done. But it takes it does take some time. Um, I think uh, for us, actually, it didn't take too long. It really, I want to say six months, maybe eight months to get an answer back. Um, and it might be, I have no idea what the process is like now, if it's faster or slower. But they, they do give you a grace period, too. So when you, when you file, uh, you're allowed to start accepting donations right away. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so it's not like it's not like if you um, you know you have to sit around and wait to get started. They they let you. There is a grace period where they'll let you operate as if um, you know, kind of with the intention that okay, even if we tell you uh, you need to make some corrections, uh, you know, you're going to make those corrections and come back to us. Um, and so, so there's an expectation that you'll be report you'll be acting you know as though everything is moving forward. Um, but you have to just tell donors that hey, this is all kind of. This is all pending, you know. We're not sure. Um, yep. <clears throat> yeah. But anyway, that's that's like the those are the weeds of the nonprofit. Like that's like the thick of like all the technical stuff they have to do. But it's not really, you know, you once it's done, you don't really think about it a lot unless you're um, right. You know, a huge right. conglomerate and you have to deal with it. Well, sweet. And so you started the nonprofit. You you made the Gamers Outreach Foundation. You have your annual event, Gamers for Giving, and I think the next one's coming up, right? Yeah, April 1st, April 2nd. Um, you know, it's weird. We, we've been having, like, discussions internally about trying, we're trying to figure out, is this our 10th event? Do we want to call it our 10th event? We've been around for 10 years, but it's actually, like, our 8th. It, it, I think it's technically, like, our 8th or ninth event. Um, so I guess I should even back up further. Uh, so for anybody, um, for anyone who... Uh, has not heard of us, or you know, if, if you did not hear yeah, episode if you twenty-four, haven't, if you haven't been through our archives, like I don't know why people still do that. Um, Zach, do you want to give us, you know, like the idea of what Gamers Outreach Foundation is? Yeah, so I think that'd probably be the best place to start. Um, so Gamers Outreach is a charity organization in the video game industry, and we work to provide uh, therapy and recreation to kids in hospitals all around the country through video games. Uh, we're most known for a couple. Well, we're most known for one initiative uh, called Project Go-Kart. Um, it's kind of the, the program that um, you know, folks, I think, identify with us mostly. Uh, and we basically construct these portable video game kiosks uh, called Go-Karts, which is an acronym for Gamers Outreach Cart. It seemed clever at the time, so we kind of <laughs> kept going with it. And uh, basically, each of these carts is equipped with a gaming console, a monitor, uh, various games and, and accessories, and they're deployed inside of pediatric hospitals. So um, nurses and child life specialists, basically healthcare professionals, will take these carts room to room. And if kids are stuck in bed or if they've had a really big surgery or they've had like an organ transplant or maybe they come into the hospital for dialysis, dialysis or chemotherapy, um, basically hospital staff use these carts to provide kids with access to activities if they normally can't really move around a lot or get to play rooms or do things outside of their rooms. Um, we have another project called Player Two, uh, which is only it only really exists in one hospital right now, but we're hoping to roll it out to a few other locations later in the year. Um, but we essentially invite gamers into the hospital environment to serve as digital activity managers. And so through this kind of volunteer effort, uh, gamers come to the hospital, they get trained up as volunteers within the hospital, and then they uh, help the hospital hand out games to kids. They help assist with like minor tech issues that could arise. And um, they also sometimes will play games with kids um, and help organize various uh, activities, you know, for some of the kids that, um, you know, again, are kind of like sitting around with not much to do. Um, and this kind of arose from a, a number of observations as we started delivering these go-karts over the years. We noticed that oftentimes hospitals are getting various types of um, hardware and software donated, but, um, you know, it takes time away from their staff and it takes just general staffing bandwidth to ensure all of this gear actually gets used in the hospital. Um, and so we thought that it'd be good for us to, you know, basically reach out to the gaming community and provide them with this opportunity to kind of help hospitals leverage a lot of this um, technology that the kids want anyway. Um, so anyway, those are kind of our two main programs at a high level. Um, every year we host an event called Gamers for Giving, uh, which is now our annual fundraiser. And so uh, we'll recruit sponsorship and we'll sell tickets. And then we have streamers who sort of come out and help us chase down um, a fundraising goal that helps kind of kick off um, a lot of our efforts uh, throughout the year. So 
Um, next one's coming up. It's kind of like a mini QuakeCon. I, I sort of compare it now. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like it's basically like a mini QuakeCon, but for charity. So people come. It's a big land party. Um, it's grown a lot in the last ten years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you were there the first one, weren't you? I was there for the first few, um, and I, I remember doing it in the Eastern Michigan University's little conference room. Yep. And setting up with there was a there was a Halo tournament and a LAN party, and that was about it. And then we added a Call of Duty tournament, and that was about it. Now you've got the the whole floor of the Convocation Center over at Eastern, which, in case anybody's wondering, that's the basketball arena. Yeah, and I I would say David's description is probably still accurate, though. (laughs) (laughs) Still a a tournament and a land party. Yeah, and we we had the big thing we added were our um, we have this thing called the Streamer Corral, and um, so yeah, we we basically there's a venue in Eastern uh, in southeastern Michigan. It's called the Convocation Center. It's part of a Eastern Michigan University's campus, and uh, it's this big arena. And so we'll clear out the floor, and we, you know, set up tables and networking gear for all the PCs. And um, but we'll set aside like fifteen or twenty seats for uh, popular streamers who come out, and they'll broadcast from the event to their respective audiences and help us raise money. Um, and the crazy thing is that, from like a fundraising standpoint, um, you know, as a charity organization, you're only going to be able to really do so much from ticket sales and even you know maybe donations you get on site. Um, the stream is kind of like this whole, it's this whole new frontier, uh, really for all nonprofits. Um, this idea that somebody can just turn on a camera in their basement, uh, you know, and reach out to their community on social media, um, and solicit contributions is a, it's, it's totally unexplored territory. Uh, and it's crazy because the results are incredibly impactful. Um, you think about it, there are people, I mean, one streamer who's somewhat popular can raise thousands of dollars, uh, you know, within a day. Meanwhile, there are people in boardrooms in different parts of the country trying to figure out how do we raise $500 in a bake sale, you know, um, not to, I don't mean any disparaging, nothing against bake sales. I'm just saying that, you know, it's, it's incredible that somebody can like turn on their webcam, uh, and do this and build up an audience and, and have this kind of like leverage. So um, yeah, who knows what it means for the future of, of charity fundraising or gamers are giving. Um, you know, honestly, I'd say even within the gaming industry, as far as other video game charities are concerned, I think it's still something that um, we're kind of catching up on. Um, some, some charities are very active. I mean, Extra Life and St. Jude, there are various groups that are, are very into uh, the streaming element. Um, and we're just sort of catching up to it. So it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, it's really cool. But yeah, in a nutshell, the event is kind of the same. Uh, we, it's a big LAN party. Um, it's now, I mean, one of the largest LAN parties in the U.S., um, which we say modestly because we're thankful anybody comes out, <laughs> let alone that we sort of stumbled on this title. Uh, <laughs> That's a Michigan well, have fun at a LAN party. <laughs> You, you you have sold out of your land party tickets already for this year, haven't you? They it's crazy, man. Well, that's kind of why I bring it up. I mean, we sold out this year in less than twenty four hours. And Holy crap! Yeah, I mean, within a day. And and I remember, I the, the, it's so crazy to me because I can remember. Uh, I mean, David remember too. Remember when we would print out flyers and like we would go and put them on yeah. people's windshields? Yeah. Put them in yep. GameStop. I, I also yeah. remember like the land section, it, the original one, where there we had set up like five, six rows of computers, and we had to take care of the electronics and the the circuit breakers, and like fifteen people showed up for the land party. Yep, yep, yeah, so, and it's it's wow, it's yeah, it's wild. So there you go. I mean, you keep at it, I guess. Um, and what's crazy though too is like, so not only did the land sell out, but there's another almost two hundred people. Uh, I'm sure even more on a waiting list that um, want to get in, and so that's like those are people who actually like made the effort to say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and add my name on this waiting list. I'm sure some people are just like, ah, screw it, you know, I'm not going to. There's no, there's no hope. Um, yeah. So I have to believe, like, if we had the space, I, I, there's not much doubt in my mind that we could probably be hosting like an 800 or 1,000 person land party. Um, you know, What's if we had the, I don't know, I don't know that we'd ever chase that. I mean, that's like dream hack. Like you're talking. I mean, it's got to be thousands. I mean, I think there's, well, there's a land, there's a record for like longest land party, like for a continuous period of time. And then there's a record maybe for just like largest land. But I, I mean, it's not worth, I don't know that we'd really be eager to chase that down because the work, no, <laughs> the work, no, you got, you got a ways to go time. between that. Yeah. I mean, well, that's even, even that said, like you look at QuakeCon and DreamHack, like they're on their own. Uh, they're kind of in their own realms, you know. Like DreamHack yep. has a huge marketing budget and and strong business interest in doing what they're doing. And um, I mean, I also say that too. Like, we're not we're not necessarily trying to like be empire builders either. Like, we see it just as cool. Like, you know, obviously from our perspective, like 
Gamers for Giving kind of represents a chance for us to talk about all the charity programs we're doing throughout the year and kind of celebrate the fact that we're gamers doing this and that the gaming community is helping us to accomplish it. Um, and so the more people we can include, the, the more fun it is. You know, like we're, we're not hosting the event with the intention of like us playing games ourselves. It's, it's for the community, you know, like we're, we're right. doing it to host an event. And so, um, and, but at that same time, like there's definitely like uh, economies of scale that kicks in, like with hosting land parties from a fundraising standpoint, the bigger your land party gets, the more expensive it is to produce. Uh, and which seems obvious, but you know, like the, the profitability for fundraising kind of diminishes as well. Um, you know, even if we could go into, I mean, I'm trying to think of like venues. The only one that comes to mind is like maybe Kobo in Detroit. Oh, geez. You know, I mean, cause you need space. I'm just saying like ballroom, yeah. we need like a big ballroom of some type. Um, I've never seen, I don't know about like, I mean, I just don't know. I don't like hotels or, you know, various places that like could facilitate the event. People would have access to food and things. Um, you know, but to go into like one of those much larger venues, I mean, it's significant, uh, significant investment, you know, yeah. um, the, the price kind of jumps up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, little, little needs, bit. Yeah, just just a bit. Um, so, so that makes it challenging. And, and from a sponsorship perspective, we try to we we usually are able to recruit um, the sponsorship we need to cover the cost of the event. And so that that's been great. But you know, even so, like we're not we're not a huge event like PAX or E3 where companies are actively you know budgeting with us in mind. Um, right. It's very much something where like every year we're like going to bat. We're trying to like reach out to our network and hit up the folks that we can. Um, and, and thankfully the last couple of years as we've, as we've grown, you know, so as our opportunities to like go and get larger sponsorship, um, to where it's been pretty awesome. And, um, so, so we'll see, I mean, we're, we're definitely like, it's funny. I mean, we talk in 10 years, but I, I really feel like the, if I look back like the first, even six, the first six to seven years, honestly, I don't know that I ever saw gamers outreach becoming what it is now, or even having the potential to be what it is. I, it was very much a passion project. Um, yep. and I think selfishly, you know, I always knew I wanted to work in the video game industry, just didn't know exactly what that meant. So I, you know, was freelancing, working for some marketing companies, had a couple jobs, went to college. Uh, and then Gamers Hours is just something that was like really cool that I, I, I just like doing. And I think all of our friends like doing and being a part of. Um, and now it's kind of grown into, you know, having a life of its own and, and needing uh, active management. So um, it's pretty wild. It's, it's really fun. We're really honestly grateful to do the work. And, and we've got so many cool stories, you know, from the impact that they've made in the hospital. That's, um, it's been really, really fun to be a part of. Now you're out in California right now, aren't you? Yes. So, um, this past May I moved out to Los Angeles. How, how and, has that affected your whole organization of this? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, it's not, it's not really affected. Well, uh, in terms of like difficulty to manage things, it, it's not any more or less difficult. Uh, in terms of opportunities, it's, it's actually helped. Um, and it's been very beneficial. Um, so basically, I work, when I'm working on Gamers Outreach, I mainly, I, I work from home for the most part. Obviously, um, well, I should say this even. Gamers Outreach operates pretty lean. Um, we don't have uh, an office. Um, we don't have a bunch of staff members. Um, I mean, we, we'll hire contractors for like various projects, you know, um, for periods of time. Um, I'm the only full-time employee. We have a board of directors that kind of oversee what I do. Um, and we've got a crew of a ton of volunteers who thankfully help with Gamers for Giving um, but then honestly, aside from that, we've, we've got a warehouse where we, you know, keep some of our, uh, equipment, you know, for gamers for giving or, you know, go-kart stuff or whatnot. Um, we did have to move out of my parents' basement. That was a big, <laughs> that was, we actually, I'll tell you guys a story. Actually, we had somebody donated, uh, 900 Xbox 360s to us. Oh, yeah. I don't, they, God. I don't know if I ever, I don't know if, I don't know if we ever talked about this or if I mentioned it. No, obviously not on the podcast, but, um, this was probably, I mean, I want to say like two and a half, three years ago, maybe. Um, yeah, the semi truck showed up with 900 Xbox 360s, and uh, so that was the Where day. Did you like, put them all. Well, well, that that's kind of the the, the point of the story. We had to uh, get a warehouse um, because pr- prior to that, I was keeping all my parents. I mean, now in hindsight, I can't believe they even were cool with it. But my parents, we would keep all the stuff in my parents' basement. Like, uh, we had thousands. <laughs> We literally, I kid you guys not, I mean, I mean, you probably saw photos that maybe I post on Facebook. We literally had thousands of video games in my basement at one point. Probably, yeah. I think when we did the count, it was around four or 5,000 titles. Um, not including, like, controllers and consoles and, like, you know, um, other random items. Like, it, it looked like a, like, it looked like 
if you're going to like the closet of a GameStop, but like multiply it, it looked like it was a GameStop. It literally was a GameStop. Like you could walk in and, and here you go. Like look, there's things all the way back to Atari 2600, you know, like um, stuff that we like obviously cannot use it directly in the hospital environment, but somebody sent this anyway. So, um, which is cool. Actually, so honestly, some of that older stuff will end up, we'll, we'll, we're able to sell and, and, you know, support the programs with, but sometimes a little more um, time consuming. But um, anyway, we had all stuff in my parents' basement, 900 Xboxes showed up. And obviously we, that was kind of like the line for my folks where they were like, okay, Zach, you gotta, <laughs> this has got to move out of the house. Um, so we found a, we found a warehouse and we, we rounded up some folks and we, we kind of took all the stuff over to this warehouse in Celine. So, um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so we actually, the cool thing though, is, um, if you go into Mott children's hospital right now, um, we decided to take like 300 of the consoles and purpose them for Mott. Uh, so there's actually now an Xbox console in every single room of the hospital, um, which is pretty rad, man. I mean, you think about it, like, well, the go-kart program, the carts that we build really came about because we realized the hospital staff were, were always trying to find bedside activities for the kids. And so I thought, man, what a cool full circle thing to be able to say Mott helped us kind of pilot this program. And now we're kind of paying it back by like helping to outfit the entire hospital, you know. Um, so it was pretty rad. It was a big win. I mean, literally, if you walk into the hospital now, you can see like the Xboxes are like mounted to each room in the hospital. Um, so kids can play games. And then um, uh, obviously they have a few go-karts kind of rolling around. Um, they'll have one of the new ones soon, um, probably actually within probably by the summer. Um, so, so the organization has been growing. I didn't mean to get off topic. Sorry. I have my tangents. Um, <laughs> tangents on podcast what? you're on. Yeah. Random access. There we go. <laughs> it kind of works. Um, but no, and to your, to your question or, um, being in LA basically because I work from home, um, the question sort of arises, okay, where is the best place for me to be that is going to help us, um, proliferate our programs on a national level? Uh, because now like we're not just in Michigan. I mean, we basically, you know, from us building the first, we built the first go-kart in 2009. Um, you know, we, we originally just wanted to do it as a, again, as a passion project for Mott Children's Hospital. Um, the hospital really loved it. They used the cart all the time. They still actually have the cart to this day. And uh, we built them another one. And then a neighboring hospital found out what we had done, so we built them one. And then some people who are friends of ours in the gaming industry found out what we were doing, and they reached out asking if we could build a cart for a hospital uh, here in California, and up, actually up in Oakland. Um, so we built them one. And then very, very slowly over the course of the years, we started building one or two more go-karts a year. Then it went from, you know, building like 10 a year to now we're building, like this year we'll probably build 100. Um, but those are being, they're being placed in hospitals all around the country. And so we've got actually the most, California has the most go-karts of any state right now. Um, Oakland Children's has six. Rady Children's has five. One now, four on the way. Uh, Children's Hospital Los Angeles actually was going to have seven soon. Uh, and then Seattle Children's actually is about to have 11. Um, they had a donor come forward who wanted to build a whole fleet uh, of, of 10. So they, they're going to have a whole bunch. So the West Coast really right now has a lot of go-karts. And leading the way. Leading, leading the, the way. charge. Yeah, leading the way. So um, anyway, I, I kind of just asked myself, like, where is the best place for me to be where, you know, as we build out this program, as we look to, you know, try to build press around, uh, you know, deliveries, or when we try to like have um, you know in, sort of immediate large impacts, um, where is that? Where is that best? You know, where is that going to be? Where that prime place is? And um, on top of that, also our board members are on the West Coast, and so um, for me to have access to them is a little easier being in Los Angeles. Um, and so the more I thought about it, Los Angeles, just kind of kept coming to mind as that city. Um, the thing about LA is that there's a lot of the gaming industry is here and we get a lot of support from the gaming industry just generally um, because they kind of, they're the ones who most easily get what we do, um, you know, get, you know, obvious for you know, obvious reasons. Um, and so it's very easy for me to like kind of bounce around if I want to go meet with somebody or if someone's kind of passing through or if there's an event happening and, oh, I'm going to swing out to that event. And then you end up kind of just, you know, talking about the cause or, or working with folks that, that want to be involved. Um, it's really, really easy to kind of have those conversations being in LA. Um, and then on top of that, um, the thing that a lot of people don't know, it's not like we really, we don't have like reports that talk about this, but, um, our largest donations have come from the Los Angeles County area. Um, we had a, we had a donor come forward. Um, we had, okay. So we had a YouTube personality who built a a go-kart for children's hospital, Los Angeles. And within three weeks, a parent came forward with a $20,000 check and was like, Hey, please build us more. These things are like, my child's using this thing all the time. There are other kids in the hospital that want them. Um, and that's happened multiple times from California, um, where, 
folks have come forward. They've wanted more go-karts. And it happens elsewhere as well, obviously, but it, it just kind of ends up working out that, you know, being, we're kind of a, we're a charity organization that has roots in the entertainment industry. And so I think our cause resonates a lot with folks, um, you know, in this area. Um, and so it's a little easier for us to even spread the message without, without really even doing it. You know, all this stuff has kind of just been organic. Um, it's not like we're actively marketing to hospitals or we're actively like trying to reach out to these donors and this stuff maybe we should be doing. Um, we're just not there yet from a bandwidth perspective, you know, staffing wise. So, um, and then on top of that, there's, uh, a number of reasons from like, first off, there are a ton of hospitals out here that we've not worked with yet. Uh, so when we do start working with those hospitals and then when we do start, you know, kind of making an impact in those facilities and, and supporting the families and kids there, which is obviously of the utmost importance. Um, if we were to start chasing down, you know, various like press stories or things like that, if the LA times does a story in the go-karts that has a much, that has a very wide impact, you know? Um, and the LA Times obviously gets syndicated by multiple other, um, news outlets. So it's much easier for us if we're doing something here to expand that message across the country so that we can make imp- an impact elsewhere as well, you know? Um, so anyway, for all those kind of reasons, uh, and then <laughs> there's even, there are media companies out here that we're, we're actually working with right now that are willing to kind of produce content. Um, like our biggest thing right now is from a, uh, communication standpoint, we don't have a very strong content pool. Um, part of that's just our own hesitation. Like we don't want to like go into the hospital with a bunch of cameras and like, Hey, can we take pictures of all the sick kids? Like, that's just kind of lame. Like we're not, we're not, you know what I mean? We're not like the ones right. that we're trying to, right. we don't want to, we don't want to be exploitive of anyone's yeah, situation. No, understandable. Um, I think of it like if my younger brother's in the hospital, I went want somebody with a camera in his face, like, Hey man, like we're trying to get donations. Can we take a photo of your kid? You know, like that's not what we're trying to do. Right. Um, that said, that's sometimes that's that's not, not to be too, too like cynical about it. Um, you, I know for a fact through, through actual experience, you can talk to hospitals and be like, Hey, we, we want to do something for this go-kart that you guys are using. Can we bring someone in and just use one of your rooms for a little while? Yeah. And honestly, hospitals are really, uh, trust me, I'm not, I'm not saying that's uh, even, I'm not necessarily saying it's a, it's a wrong thing to do when done in the right way. Um, right. you know, we, we have been, we're, we just take a very active approach in being respectful, um, to the patient situation to where there've been times, obviously we're walking around the hospital and, um, you know, it's not like we're like, Hey, can we get a photo of this? You know, or things like that. Like we always in advance, will let the hospital know, Hey, a donors come forward. They want to deliver a go kart to your hospital. You know, we'd love to have the opportunity to come by and um, do a little dedic- host a little dedication ceremony where we show them the go kart and they get the chance to maybe meet you guys and some of the um, you know some of the staff and learn about how it'll be used. And by the way, if you happen to have any kids that are like well enough and they want to come and play games, um, you know, it'd be great for you know them to see the go kart for you know just the the donor to have this interaction, but. Absolutely no pressure. Like, it's not something we really push. Um, so, yeah, to your point, David, like, there are definitely times, though, where we want to, like, we need to almost get that content to communicate what it is we're doing to people. Um, because without it, like, as, as much as we want to be respectful, at the end of the day, like, if we're saying, hey, here's this cool go-kart, and you just see the cart stand alone, it doesn't really communicate, like, what the cart actually does or why we build them. Um, yeah, it would be just be like having an iPod there without any actual, you know, right, music right. attached to it. Yeah, exactly. So we've even talked about like, okay, obviously if there's a kid that like, maybe this kid, like they broke his, maybe he like sprained his ankle or he broke his leg or something and he's okay. He's like totally fine and happy. He's just, he has to like stay put for a couple of days. Um, like, let's go talk to that kid and like, you know, his, if their parents are cool with it, et cetera, like, you know, obviously like, and honestly, some kids are very excited. They're like, Oh, I want to be a part of this. Like put me on, put me on video. Um, you know, they, they think of it as like being famous or something, you know, I guess. So, um, and they, in some ways maybe they are, you know, like we're, there's, there are a lot of folks that are being watching these, you know, these clips. Um, so, you know, we, um, that's kind of our approach and, and being in LA, you know, already there's, there've been three different media agencies that have come forward that are willing to produce, um, some really high end, uh, you know, video assets, I've got a photographer, a friend of mine, who actually owes me five photo shoots um, that we're going to be doing um, kind of between now and, and uh, you know, the summer, um, going into hospitals or going to events, et cetera. Um, and all that stuff is way easier to organize in L.A. just because of the industries that are out here um, yeah. you know, for us to collect content. So I work remote. We've got uh, our warehouse back in Michigan. We've got our team of volunteers in Michigan. We still do a lot in the Midwest, obviously. I'm really just here to plant the second flag. And uh, then we manufacture our gaming carts in Texas. So, um, you know, they're, they're all, we're all over the place. Uh, yeah, the yeah. I want to I want to hit on that if if you don't mind, because I remember we you first talked about it. You basically were just modifying like a, a normal hospital cart 
for the original go karts, but now you're actually building things. Yeah, so it's been a it's been a pretty wild process the last year. Um, so to, basically, you know, when we started the when we started Project Go Kart, um, originally we created the initiative because we observed in the hospital that there were a lot of kids that did not have access to activities away from their bedside, and so we thought it would be fun to build our local hospital, Mott Children's Hospital. Um, we thought it'd be fun to build them a gaming cart that they could use to just store a gaming console and a monitor and a bunch of games, and they could just wheel it, you know, room to room. So that nurses wouldn't have to fool with, you know, unplugging a gaming console, um, you know, removing it from a playroom and then kids coming down and being like, where'd the Xbox go? You know, and it's missing. Um, so we had made some, uh, some sketches uh, and literally like if you were to go back, I don't even know if I still have them, but uh, if you were to go see the first go-kart, it, it was like a cabinet on wheels, like the drawings. It was literally like somebody took your, your pantry cabinet and just put wheels on it and like, look at <laughs> You know, oh, jeez! You know, wheel this thing around, and um, you know, so that's kind of what it looked like. And then the, the hospital, thankfully, didn't write us off. They're like, "Hey, Zach, honestly, look, um, we like where your head's at, and we like this concept you're chasing down. But let us show you what some of our other, um, you know, items look like in the hospital, and maybe you can make something that looks a little more like kind of what we're, yeah, you know, what we have on a regular basis here." Uh, so we actually spent. Uh, six months, uh, kind of just volunteering and learning from Mott. We walked around the hospital. Uh, some of our team members actually signed up as volunteers. I was checking in like on a biweekly basis, just like coming by, and and we would you know buy little video games here and there from the hospital, and we we're just kind of really trying to understand what how the hospital environment works. And uh, we ended up just starting to call different medical companies. So if you walk into the hospital, oftentimes they have these things, uh, they have different types of medical carts that kind of get wheeled around. And some of them are called uh, workstations on wheels. And they basically are like a, a computer um, that, uh, you know, hospitals will use that, um, you know, very simply is basically like, you know, it's just like a portable computer. They'll, it's hooked up to the infrastructure in the hospital and they'll, they'll transport it around. And they use, sometimes they'll use these things to like uh, dispense patient medications. And so they'll keep track of, what patients are supposed to get what, and they have like little drawers. And, and anyway, so there are all these, these little, they're basically like these mini workstations that get wheeled around. And we found a company that makes these, and we just reached out to them and we said, hey, we're a bunch of video game enthusiasts. We see your carts. We're trying to make a video game cart for our local children's hospital, and we're wondering if we can modify one of your existing products to accommodate our intention and what we're trying to do here. Uh, and sure enough, thankfully, we found a group that was willing to to uh, help us out a little bit. And so we built the very first go-kart for Mott in 2009. Uh, but it was really just sort of a, mod- a repurposed product. You know, it was a product that, um, you know, we removed a lot of the medical stuff and we attached like this this tray that held a gaming console. And that's um, uh, how we sort of built the, the first go-karts. And... Uh, in a nutshell, that actually worked really well because it allowed us to sort of validate this idea without having to make huge investments in you know creating an actual product or building out the process to manufacture something. Um, and nor, I mean, even if we had tried to go down that road, I mean, yeah, I think we were like 18 or 19 at the time. So, um, yeah, I don't know that any of us had very, a lot of hard knowledge on you know uh, what, what manufacturing tangible goods actually was like. Um, so anyway, we built the first cart and that was great. I mean, we, like I said earlier, you know, we built the first cart. It allowed us to build, um, we built one more for another, a neighboring hospital. We started building just more throughout the years. But again, it was very much something where we would only build a few a year. So we would host gamers for giving and then whatever money we raised from the event would pretty much go towards us constructing, you know, the go-karts. Uh, and sometimes I was like, okay, we're going to build two. Okay, we're going to build four. Uh, and then we started having donors come forward, um, streamers or individuals who wanted to build go-karts for uh, basically hospitals of their preference. And so that kind of started becoming a thing. And we're like, okay, well, sure, of course, if somebody comes forward with the, you know, the funds, we can totally build a go-kart, we'll just order it, and then we'll build our, our tray and we'll deliver it, no problem. Um, well, the challenge with that is that um, from a cost perspective, like we were very much delivering these go-karts at cost. Um, and sometimes we would actually even lose money on deliveries if the shipping uh, or accessories turned out to be a little more than we had expected. So uh, we would ask people to donate um, you know, to build this go-kart. But when it actually came time to like ship the go-kart, we had to pull from like funds we'd raise independently, uh, to actually like fulfill orders. And we, to some degree, we were doing that intentionally because we wanted to help people, uh, place go-karts. And so, you know, some of our fundraising was with that in mind. Um, but that's not really scalable. 
And so the issue where you started to run into within the last year is that we now have more and more people who want to build go-karts or we have hospitals that are reaching out sometimes directly and they just want to order them. Um, but we can't lose, we obviously like the program can't sustain itself if it's losing money. Uh, yeah, no, that won't work. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, that's not a good thing. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of where there's an interesting misunderstanding, I'd say generally around nonprofits, um, where folks kind of, the, the term nonprofit honestly is actually inaccurate, um, and does not do, they really should be called for purpose organizations. Um, and that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down, but um, because we should be insanely profitable. Uh, the only difference is that we need to reinvest into the program uh, rather than paying out dividends to shareholders. And that's really the big right. intention. If you look at like a, if you look at a symphony, um, you know, they're selling tickets to, you know, their performances and then they host galas to fundraise so they can hire great conductors or great musicians and advance their cause of sharing, you know, music. Um, and I, I kind of think of it similar to that where, you know, the go-karts are very much sort of a product, but we're, we're organized as a nonprofit. So it's not our intention to, um, you know, like sell stock or like profit necessarily from, you know, what we're doing in the hospital environment. What we want to do is be able to have a margin on the go-kart so that we can reinvest in the program and grow it in a sustainable, healthy way. Um, and so that's kind of what we're doing right now is basically last game we're giving. We raised enough money that we were actually able to seriously evaluate the idea of building the go-karts on our own so that we could, in theory, eventually build them less expensively um, and then also have some type of margin baked into where we're not bleeding out every time we build a go-kart. Because that's really hampered our growth over the years. Like from us to... Whether it's building more go-karts or it's, you know, hiring one or two people to help with various tasks to, like, you know, grow the impact of what we're trying to do. Um, the go-kart program, it's on one hand, it's great because it's very tangible and it speaks to, um, it's just, it's very cool. Like, if somebody can donate and they can see, oh, I delivered this go-kart, it sort of lives on our website. You can see the map and the photo when it's been delivered. You can come and see it at the hospital. Um, and there's that really direct connection between you making a contribution and a go-kart existing. Um, and we want to maintain that. Like, that's actually awesome. And we want to keep that up. Uh, and we just need to figure out how to do it in a way that's like, okay, uh, you know, is, is basically sustainable. And the company we were working with to build the previous go-karts, the, the ones we've basically been constructing, um, they were really, they were really great and really great to work with. But, uh, when it came to us actually like trying to scale a program in a way that we wanted to, they weren't really able to, to help much in that regard. Um, and so it just kind of led us on this quest to, to kind of build the carts on our own. So the last nine months or so, we designed a new version of the cart. It's kind of supposed to be very similar to the previous models because we don't, we don't really want to change the core function of it. Um, and we want it to really be as similar as possible because hospitals, we're, we're all very happy with the old carts. Um, but we just want it to be now built for gaming. And so now it's very much built for our purpose. Um, and we're constructing them. We found this, uh, company in Texas that's helping us, um, you know, sort of manufacture, uh, all the various pieces, uh, assemble the go-karts and then fulfill the orders. And, um, but boy, what a process. I mean, learning about how to, <laughs> how to make actual things. I mean, it's funny, you don't think about it, but I mean, on a right. daily where, basis, where do like, things come from? Yeah. Like, how do you source the raw materials? How do those materials get formed into the various shapes? How does that stuff get put together? Uh, where does it get stored? Then how do you send it to people? Like, what's your packaging look like? Like, oh man, what a what a what a process! And it's funny too. Like, you realize you start appreciating, um, you know, that there, in software they kind of there's that that phrase, you know, ship it. Like, even if you're not necessarily totally done, like get it out there, let people toy with it, because then it actually helps you kind of like you might they might catch things that you didn't even think about when you're building it that you can use to improve in the next versions. Um, and so, I mean, thankfully we have a lot of data, uh, and we've, we've really built the go-karts out to the point where like, I think everyone's going to be very happy with them. There are still things that I see that I'm like, oh, we should do this differently or that differently, but it's not like mission critical. All of this is preventing, you know, for some reason should prevent us from, from delivering the carts. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, we, we literally, you can go through our Twitter feed a little bit. Um, we'll probably be posting more uh a more extensive article about all of that once we um you know once we start delivering the first carts but um i was just in texas past friday at the facility and we're shipping like the first new units uh this week so we had a couple of delays uh, they, originally they were supposed to be done like in late december early january but um with the holiday it was kind of hard for us to get some of the plastics that we needed on time so we ended up waiting uh we had a, some things got delayed and uh but they're done now so what a process man like Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, it's fun. It's really cool, but it's like, it's a little nerve wracking. And so it's very, 
you know, to do it, it, there's a large upfront investment. You know, you might spend 100K, $150,000, you know, total, like to sometimes more than that, depending on what kind of product you're making, obviously. But like, in our case, uh, you know, it can be to, to make the molds, to do the design and uh, and then if you don't have a lot of margin for error, uh, it's like, well, we better get this right, you know, <laughs> otherwise we're going to be in trouble. Um, so it, 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 it's all, I mean, we had a lot of information so that where we, we were really confident, like, like this, there's, there's, it's been done before. Everyone's, we've seen the drawings. We've got the schematics down. Uh, we took these guys to see one of the old go-karts. We built a prototype. Everything was really great. Um, and so now we've got the actual go karts, and uh, I never thought I'd be so excited about like building carts, you know, like medical carts. But <laughs> it's just really cool, you know. It's really cool, like when you like when it's like something you've been working on, and, and then uh, you know, um, and then you get to be a part of like part of it. It's like uh, it's funny. Then you look at Legos, and you realize, oh my gosh, like all of this stuff that you play with as a kid is just training for when you're an adult. Um, to like actually like go out into the world and, and, and build real buildings or, you know, whatever it is. So, um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's really wild. So we're at this point now where we've got a new version of the go-kart. We've been, we've been very open about us constructing them because we, when we hosted our last gamers for giving, um, and we realized we were basically in range to complete this process. Um, it also meant that for those period, for that period of time, we weren't going to deliver any go-karts. We wanted to hold on to all of our donor funds and activate them when we completed this process. Um, and so that's, that's, that's more just like a transparency element. Like we've been very open about communicating with donors. Like, Hey, just so you know, uh, we are, we are using your money for go-karts, but it's just, we're waiting. We, we got, we're going to, we want, we want to wait until we're, we've got this process down. Um, because that donation is going to go way further. Like rather than us spending a hundred thousand dollars on building go karts, we can create the process that's going to allow us to make hundreds and hundreds more. You know, For this year and, exactly, exactly yeah. in the long run. So yeah, I've been nice. looking at some of your the fundraising campaigns that you've got there, and I'm already looking. I'm like, okay, well that one's funded. Yep. Those are all funded. That one's how many, how many, what's, you know, what's the current amount of, you know, go-karts already basically paid for? We've got, so in this batch we're making right now, we've got, so we're building 31 go-karts in this first batch, which is, they're rolling out uh, starting this week. And then we're already queuing orders for batch number two, uh, which off the top of my head, we've, I've got an Excel spreadsheet that has all this. Um, I want to say there are about 15 right now, batch number two. Uh, but those will be batch number two will be coming after this next game which we're giving. So what we'll do is we're building batch number one, which includes uh, you know this like last March's game which we're giving, and then anything we've kind of done you know throughout 2016. And so those are all getting delivered and fulfilled between you know end of February to late March. And then uh, when we go to make batch number two, we've got some people who've like hey. I've donated, but they, didn't, they maybe they didn't donate in time for us to like put their order in. Or um, yeah, that's actually pretty much it. We had some hospitals actually that like I was like, all right, you need to get your checks to us by November, and it came in like like January third. You know, I was like, okay, well, you're too late. So <laughs> I guess we'll we'll save this. And so I, we've we've let them know we're very like we we every anytime we like. Uh, write a donor receipt, or if a hospital like wants to buy them, we'll we'll include like a note that says, "Hey, this is kind of like your estimated delivery time frame." Um, but again, what we're hoping to do, if we're lucky, I think we'll be able to do it by the end of the year. We want to get to a point where nobody's waiting. Um, right now, we kind of build the go karts to order, which means that we don't construct the go karts until we have funds to do so. Um, but we'd like to get to a point where, okay, we have like an inventory, and then if you, let's say, you do a fundraiser and you build a go kart, um, well, we have an inventory of go karts that exist. We can just pull from that, and there you go. Like it's fulfilled within a matter of like two weeks, you know. Um, and that goes back to like being able to reinvest in the program. So everything I was saying earlier about having a margin to like, you know, reinvest in the program, part of that is like, okay, we can create some savings pool that allows us to go ahead and like build a few more go-karts on top of a batch. So maybe we've got an order for like 30 go-karts, but we've got funds to go ahead and build like 15 or 20 more. We can go ahead and do that. And then we can like maybe hold those go-karts or we can deploy them independently if we want to. Or we can like, you know, as donors are coming forward to help fulfill them, you know, there's various things we can do. So um, it's pretty fascinating. Like basically kind of building up to that point where you create some like, um, you know, basically like a um, uh, like kind of a, a projection on what you think, you know, based on previous, you know, donations and such, like how many go-karts will end up getting delivered in a certain period of time. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of part of it too. So yeah, basically I think until we'll end up building a lot of go-karts, I mean, who knows what we'll do at Game Wish You're Giving. I mean, Game Wish You're Giving will happen in April. Uh, and then literally like right after the event, we, we place, we'll start building batch number two. And thankfully batch number two will take obviously way less time to build. 
um, because batch, batch number one took as long as it did because they had to create the whole process. Now the process is done. <laughs> So hopefully it takes like the point of doing that upfront investment. The rest of them go faster. Exactly. Yeah. So it might be like a six week turnaround where okay, great. We we take everything. Uh, we 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 have all the tools built. So we we set up the tools, order the materials, everything gets stamped out. Then it goes to assembly, and then assembly like it takes six weeks. But some go karts might be done in three. Some might be done in six, right? It just kind of depends on um, you know how they how many get built in a day. So actually, literally, if you go to our Twitter, uh, I posted a, a very short video of uh, one of the guys uh, assembling uh, one of the go karts, um, and we have this like assembly facility where they they you know all the parts get shipped and they get put together, um, and uh, and so yeah, obviously, like as as he as they complete uh, you know building out the go karts, then we can start packaging them up and shipping them around. So. Um, so that's kind of the go-kart project and, and the go-kart initiative, you know, um, it's, it's really cool. I mean, we have a ton of cool feedback from patients. Uh, we had a kid, we had a kid in Oakland children's who, uh, was being treated for cancer and the hospital would wheel in a go-kart for him, but they would only let him play on it for two hours, uh, before they had to give it to another patient. And he got really frustrated by it because he wanted to play, he wanted to play more. Uh, and so he ended up raising $15,000, this kid. <laughs> Yeah, know, right? he, he like went around the hospital and I think his, I think his parents may have helped a little bit, but like he, he very much like led this effort to like raise money. And he, he sent us an email and was like, Hey, um, I'm playing on this thing all the time. My other, my other patients in the hospital really enjoy it too. Uh, can you please build us more? And so we built a bunch for Oakland children's and that's why they have six now. Uh, thanks to this kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that was, that was crazy validating. That was like, like we've we've knew we knew that the hospital loved them. We we hear stories from like the hospital staff, but to like actually have a patient come forward and say, "Hey, like this really meant a lot to me. I'm I want to fundraise for these." Like that's that's like it doesn't get any more validating than that, you know. Um, and that's actually happened a few times. We had another kid at Mott uh, who was in the Boy Scouts and he wanted to complete his like his Eagle project. Um, he's like chasing down like the highest tier you know Boy Scout ranking, uh, and he had to do some type of community service project and he wanted to build a go kart, so he built one. And um, it's pretty wild. We went to the hospital. His family came out. Actually, my mom got to be at the delivery. My parents haven't really, uh, you know, they, they know what I do, obviously, but they haven't had a chance to see it. So my mom came out. She like got to see, you know, what, what we do, and it was pretty cool. And um, and then this kid's family was really stoked, and he was really stoked, and very similar thing. And that's that's again happened. It's happened multiple times. We had one of our board members. Uh, he's actually the head of YouTube Gaming. He uh, was treated for Crohn's disease when he was younger, and he donated one to Cleveland Clinic where he was treated, Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital. And he gets hit up all the time because we, we left his Twitter handle on the cart. And there are kids all the time that will tweet at him like, hey, man, I really love the go-kart. Thanks so much. Somebody messaged him on LinkedIn and was like, hey, man, really appreciate you donating that go-kart. Like, I actually used it when I was hospitalized. Um, so it's wild. It's so funny. And that's kind of, again, this is all just organic stuff. You know, like, we're right now and we're 19 hospitals around the country. Um, we're literally, as soon as we deliver these go-karts, we're pretty much doubling our impact, um, you know, right away. So, like, the, the last... Eight years of work is all getting doubled within you know the next couple months. So yep. um, it's really wild, and who knows what happens you know after that. But you know, gamers forgiving will be a big, a big, uh, a big boost to it all. Now, Zach, with all this going on there, uh, have you actually had any chance to play any games, or are you just you too know, busy? I, I knew this question was going to come up. Uh, <laughs> I would say this. Actually, I was talking to someone about this. Like, I have probably, and I hate admitting this, but it's true. I have probably never. How do I? I don't know how to word this. I don't think I've ever had a period in time where I've dedicated such a small amount of my time to playing video games, like actually just sitting down and enjoying games. And it sucks because I want to. And somebody like said the irony of it is like, wow, you're spending all this time like giving other people the chance to play video games, and now like you, but you've yet like taken away your own time to play games. And I'm like, no, why? <laughs> I do play. You I, poor I don't, thing. Yeah, I know, right? You like, poor, God, poor that's thing. I know. First world oh, problems. <laughs> <laughs> I do still though, like. I, I just don't play as often. I mean, I say I do play on a weekly basis, but I just don't get to. Do, I'll play like I'll log into Counter Strike for like a couple hours. I'll maybe play Starcraft for a couple hours. I'll play maybe between like two to eight hours a week. You know, um, so nowhere near. I mean, not definitely not like what I used to. I mean, obviously, um, which sucks that I, I, I downloaded Final Fantasy and I wanted to play through Final Fantasy, but I'm like now I realize like I remember hearing people like, oh man, I love Final Fantasy. I love Mass Effect, and like you really got to make time. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is I don't think that I'm. I don't think I'm doing a good enough job of like carving out time for games. And that's really because I see made like Major Nelson, like all these I see all these people who work at Xbox have crazy high gamer scores. I'm like, how the hell are they 
Like what? Like I know, I know for exact. Like as an example, Major Nelson is crazy busy, but he his gamer score is super high. So he's clearly like making time to play game. I think that's really what it is. You have to. You literally have well, to say part of part of his job is to play the game so that he can be aware and speak about them. Right. I mean, like he so, he can do some of that on the clock. Right. That's true. Yeah. So okay, you, that's fair. You don't actually. have that opportunity. <laughs> right. Right. That's fair. Well, yeah, that's true. I, now, I, I, now I'm actually looking up Major Nelson's gamer tag right now. Actually. Oh God. I mean, it's got to be high. I think he's. I mean, it's pretty he's up there. Been and doing it for a while. Yeah. Ninety-seven thousand right now. That's pretty good. He's actually that's online now, right now, as we speak. <laughs> yep. It's the weekend, right? Yeah, I know weekend. it's the weekend. Yeah, no, he's a uh, last game played. Looks like was GTA Four. That's fine. Backwards compatibility, right? That's what. Just... Yeah, probably. Yep. <laughs> anyway, I mean, so case in point, right? Like always, always gaming. Um, yep. So yeah, I, um, I, I am. I think also though too, it's part of the the phase that we're in where we're kind of in like startupy mode right now. And so, you know, I, I kind of tell people like if we were a regular for-profit company, like right now is probably when we'd be going after like series A funding from investors, but um, we're bootstrapping everything. So I, I think really at the end of the day, it's like, it's really just that we we're at this very pivotal, very important point as an organization where somebody, some people need to really focus and dedicate time to like getting all this built out, you know? Um, and so it's something that like, I don't foresee, you know, I'm, I'm hoping there is a period of time where like I have my weeknights again and I, I'm not like anxious about things or, you know, whatever it is, but, um, I think it'll be soon. I, I definitely think it'll be, you know, hopefully this year, but it's stressful, man. It's stressful doing your own thing. David, you know, why did you do this? Why did you do this to me, David? Hey, this is all hey your fault. I'll take that fault. I'm okay with that. But I'd point out you're the one who followed my advice. There's your problem right then and there. Dave gave you advice, is, and you actually This is something that Andy it. has also had to struggle with now that we are in, what, 10 years of the show, 500 episodes. <laughs> Andy, let's run a podcast. Sure, why not? That'll be fun. Yeah. Well, 500 episodes <laughs> you know, later. Yeah, you know those people who go like, I'm just an ideas person. I actually am an ideas person. I just, I find the right people to go and do <laughs> those ideas. Well, you're a delegator. You're, you have a, you know what, Dave? You're going to make a great executive one day. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Fantastic. Uh, so Gamers Forgiving, the, the event coming up is in southeast Michigan. Are you guys still looking? You've got the LAN is full. Is the tournament full as well? We've got uh, some openings for Halo and Call of Duty. We've got a Halo tournament and a Call of Duty tournament. Uh, okay. We also have a Smash Brothers tournament. So if anyone wants to uh, pick up the GameCube controller, we've got Super Smash Brothers happening. Um, and then that, those are really the, the headline activities. That said, the land's all filled up. All the, do you still need volunteers? I believe we still are looking for volunteers. Yeah. So if anyone wants to volunteer, where should people go if they are interested in volunteering for that? If you go to uh, gamersoutreach.org slash donate, there is a, we have our donation page and there's a link to our volunteer application on that page. And you can check that out. Uh, It's the little icon that has a, I think it has like a hand and, uh, you click that and fill out the application. Uh, it goes to a guy named Sean File, who I think David, you know, I think you know Sean. I know Sean. Yeah, I've worked with him. Uh, so Sean kind of helps manage uh, all the volunteer opportunities and, and that good stuff. And um, we will be we are looking for volunteers. And of course, also too, if anyone is a streamer or actively streams, uh, if you're not able out to make out to Michigan, uh, we actually have our own fundraising platform now um, that we use to keep track of go kart builds. And you can definitely uh, turn on your stream, uh, create a fundraising campaign. And raise money, you know, ask your friends and family, ask your Twitter followers, Facebook fans, whoever it might be, uh, to donate. Because we'll be chasing down a $200,000 fundraising goal at this year's event. Um, which is, I know, right? Which is wild. Because I remember, man, like, remember when we, like, donated $4,000 and it was a big deal? And now it's like, we're already, we haven't even, we're six, we're like six weeks out from the event. And there's already, like, 40, almost 41000 $42,000 raised, I think, <laughs> last I looked. So, uh, there you go. And so I think our, when, I mean, I don't know when streamers too, like some of the streamers we have involved, I mean, uh, I have no idea what will happen. Like we have this 200 K goal. It could be easy to reach. It could be really difficult to reach. We might raise $500,000. I have no, I have absolutely no idea. Like we, we just try to put all the pieces in place to make sure the event is great. And it's yeah. a lot of fun. And, and hopefully we get to the goal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I think we'll get there. I am pretty confident. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited that we'll, we'll be able to make it happen. Have you been looking at some of the, the other charity events? I mean, there's like the Awesome Games Sunquick, Summer Games Sunquick, and they're raising, at this point, millions of dollars. Is that something that you're like, 
you know, someday, someday that will be us? Or is this something like, man, we, we can get that in the next like year or two? Like, we're going to catch up to these other guys. I mean, it's hard to say. To be honest. I, I think the, the challenge is really it's there's a element of us trying to figure out what is our unique, um, what makes our, our event and broadcast unique. Um, like Awesome Games Done Quick, for example, is fun because people enjoy watching speed runs. And obviously the charity part is a huge element. Like, like first and foremost, hope, you know, it's for this, you know, it's for a great cause. And then, but the reason they have the scale that they do is because people really love watching speed runs. And so it's become this, people expect it as a speed running marathon. And there's this audience that gets built up from that. And, you know, even if, even if you don't actively participate in a speed run, speed running community, uh, it's still fun to like turn the stream on for a few minutes and like watch like somebody go through Zelda really fast, you know, like, wow, I can, I can barely, I remember when it took me like four hours just to beat that one temple and this guy just did it in five minutes, you know? So, um, I, I think for us, we're trying to figure out what is it about gamers forgiving and like our stream that like is, is unique and is something that can encourage mass involvement. I mean, extra life even too, you know, extra life isn't like a single stream. The, the thing with extra life, it's, it's a marathon where people are, everyone is dedicating 24 hours of their time to streaming, uh, you know, like this gaming marathon. And I, I think for us, like, I think we're kind of trying to go more the route of being a variety show. And we're talking to this guy. And, and the other thing, too, is we have a very strong, we have very strong roots in the esports community. Um, I mean, it wasn't called esports when we started, obviously, but like a lot of the folks, just the fact that we run tournaments and we come from, I mean, basically we, we are a group of people that came from running video game tournaments. Um, and then the folks who are involved are all like pro gamers or whatnot. I, I think for us, it's going to turn into, I really think we're trying to chase down this idea of our event being um, like the Jerry Lewis telethon of esports. Um, <laughs> and I, it sounds kind of funny, but like Sir Scoots, as an example, we've got this guy named Sir Scoots. He's a very, um, he's kind of like one of the founding fathers of modern day esports. He's very involved in like the Counter-Strike space and evil geniuses back in the day and got bought up by Twitch. And um, he's one of our like active members of the organization. And he, I think, I think he wants to be the Jerry Lewis of esports. And he's, he like, we've been talking about like doing a stream where he's like on the camera and, Oh my God, we've had, we're at $90,000, you know, like going crazy with his tie or something like that. And, uh, you know, just like going the whole weekend. Uh, and then we've got the streamers and it's kind of like a mix. We've got like different esports personalities. We've got a few guys who are like, variety streamers and it's just really fun so we're you know a lot of times when streamers go to conventions they're like doing meet and greets they are you have their booth obligations and uh whereas for us we're like a mini QuakeCon, where it's like nope you're coming here to play video you're coming here to do what you do and nice. i think i think that has an appeal to the streamers because they're like oh well great that that doesn't that means they don't lose any like subscribers necessarily or whatnot and Oh, it's good content for their channel, really. Like they get to interact with all these other streamers. And so I think that's kind of what we're figuring out is like, oh, okay, I think that's what that's what our style is now in terms of like scaling the fundraiser. Um because the honest truth is, you know, from a from a ticket sales perspective and, and a land from the land perspective, like we really do the land more now as like a community event, you know. Um the land is 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 to celebrate being gamers and that's just sort of true to our roots. I mean, I think of gamers for giving that event is as much who we are as, as building go-karts, you know? Um, and so we always want to have the event and I, and I hope it always happens in Michigan. But, um, you know, I think, uh, from a fundraising standpoint, we have to be mindful of that as well. And so we're, we're, you know, really the stream is these streamers are kind of meant, I think, to almost kind of embody like all the different games that are even being played in the land itself. Um, and then the streamers are kind of helping to amplify that, that message. So, um, what we're trying to figure out is how do we make that like really entertaining? Do we just rely on these streamers that are coming out and their audiences? Do we have like a main broadcast? And then how do we like, you know, produce this in a way that like does justice to the idea? Because we have like some really pie in the sky ideas, but to actually do it would take significant resources. Um, it might not really make sense from a you know fundraising standpoint. So um, it's just really interesting. So I, yeah, man, I mean, to your question, I, we're figuring it out. We're still figuring out like what are, um, you know, getting to like a million dollars from a single weekend. Now, the other thing too to think about though is like awesome games done quick. They also do that. That million dollars comes over the course of like a week or two, you know? Yeah. Um, so gamers forgiving happens in one weekend and we're raising 150 K 200 K in one weekend. So maybe if, I mean, if we were to extend it into a week, right. Where we have many streamers, I mean, maybe we would raise a million dollars, you know, I don't know. Um, that's actually a good point. I hadn't really thought of that really until I just said it, but like, uh, you know, maybe so that, that could be part of it too. Cause we do raise like a substantial amount in two days. Um, but there's just less time. Right. So, right. um, anyway, we'll see. All right. Well, I, I, I was going to suggest that we hit some topics before we run out of time, but we're basically, 
I'm okay with with this. This is good. Yeah. Like so it. so um, we should probably hit the the randoms then because you know we we have to. That's part of our shtick. I mean, we've skipped them before, but yeah. Um, All so, right. Well then. Yeah, that was, <laughs> thanks, Zach, for, hey. for filling in an hour. <laughs> Yeah, anytime. Sorry for talking so long. I guess I was rambling. No, I, no, I told myself, no, like, I was telling myself, this, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, true to actually my point I'm about to make, I was, I always tell myself, oh, I'm going to be really uh, brief and succinct in these conversations. And then somebody gets me going. And uh, an hour later, here we are. Right. Well, that's, that's, that was A, expected. We, Andy and I talked about this before and, and knew this was going. Uh, B, like, this is something that you're passionate about, and it's something that Andy and I are are also passionate about and very happy to see and that you've managed to take this from a canceled Halo tournament to this this company that's actually doing a lot of good out there. We're trying, man. We're trying. One day at a time. Uh, but it's good. Honestly, everything's been – it's been really fun. And um, – you know, just have been grateful to 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 have done it and and be a part of it and have so many folks involved who who have been helping along the way. It's been really really cool. Well, Dave, do you want to hit your review or do you want to skip it this week and just go for the random topic? What would you like to do? I we can we can put the review off for a week. I think that's okay. All right, should we go straight for the random topic then? Let's hit it. All right, I rolled ahead of time. Hold on, let me pull up my notepad here. Uh, what quirky habits do you have? What quirky habits do you have, Zach, outside of being able to talk? straight <laughs> for an hour <laughs> uh somebody I, else might have to go first because I, I i know one that i have that um has been actually showing up a lot more recently is i talk and i sing to myself you what like I, not I, not at the same time you talk no, to yourself and i sing talk to, to myself and i also not like just, that when you are talking you are singing to yourself Sometimes when I do talk to myself, I do it in a sing-song voice. But when you are talking to yourself, not when you are just talking. No, yeah. When, okay. I, when I, I talk a lot to myself now, and sometimes I do that... Um, in song. In song. Kate is also would, telling me that I talk louder when I tell stories. I would love to know what that song is like. Well, it, it, it changes depending on what I've recently listened to. So you give yourself background music. Yes, I give myself background music, and sometimes I just, you know, just talk to myself, which is fine when I'm by myself, but, you know, when I'm with other people, sometimes I forget that there are other people there, and so I'll start talking to myself, and people will be like, wait, what did you say? Like, no, no, I wasn't talking to you. And they're like, well, who are you talking to? And then I'll be like, I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to me. Oh, God, quirky habits. I mean, there's there's so many to choose from, right? (laughs) I, I don't know, Dave. I haven't actually been around you recently. For extended periods yes, of time. Yes, for extended periods of time. Well, the, there's, there's, of course, the quirky habit of trying to find like alternate answers to questions like this. That is indeed a habit that I would call a quirk. Yes, Dave, you do it's look also for the loophole. Yeah, that, it's also a self-fulfilling answer, right? Yes, that, you know, I'm not going to answer That's this like, question by trying to find another answer to this question. But what have I... I I think my the quirkiest habit I have would be my sleep schedule. Hmm. Do you go to bed later? I, I usually get about like four and a half hours of sleep a night during the week and then significantly more during the weekend. And that's exactly the thing that they say you shouldn't do and that you're not supposed to do and that it's really unhealthy to do that. It seems to work out pretty well for me. Hmm. I I can I no that's not a quirk for me no because I'll be like oh I guess it's like two thirty in the morning I should probably go to bed so I can wake up at seven. <sighs> Yes, I don't. I wouldn't be able to do that, man. That's uh, <laughs> no. That's <laughs> I mean, when I try to do that. It, it, I yeah. I, I need at least like seven hours. I I normally can do six. Granted, I can't sleep in because if I try sleeping in, then that screws up the whole rest of the cycle. Because you know, then I won't fall asleep right away. Understandable. Yeah. Uh, Kate also is texting me saying that I eat smelly food. You eat smelly food. I mean, you you have previously eaten lutefisk. Yes, that is the worst thing on the planet. But, but yes, I have. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking that my eggs this morning were uh, Tabasco sauce, uh, banana peppers, that's not, and Swiss cheese. It's not particularly potent. No, but that's it. it I eat odd food, sauerkraut, nifflies, that sort of thing. Yeah, Zach, have you thought of one yet? Um, I'm just trying to. I'm still trying to build off of anything you guys have said. But I mean, I do have a habit of like when I'm listening to people. If I if I'm I. 
don't know if I'd say this is a quirky habit or not, but sometimes if I'm digesting what they said, I don't want to respond right away. And so I'll make a remark to let them know that I received their, like I received their message. Like I might say, like my brother points this out a lot. Like if somebody tells me something, I might respond by saying, hmm, interesting. Like interesting. I've got like a little, like a small batch of words that I'll like, like go back to to acknowledge like, oh, okay. That's, I'm like, I'm considering what you just said, but I might not like expand quickly past that because I'm still like dwelling on like what they said. So I don't know. But, like my brother, there are a lot of times where he'll tell me stories and like, I'm listening, but I don't really have much to add yet. So I'll say, hmm, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a quirk though. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's, <laughs> I don't know. It's like not being conversational or if it's like not paying attention. And he's like, you never listen to me. I am listening to you. I just, I'm, I don't have anything to say yet. I've been back to you yet. So processing. I'm processing. Hmm, interesting. Right. I do that a fair amount. Yeah. I do that on the show actually a fair amount. Like, okay, well, let, hang on. Let me think about that. Right. Right. There, there's a reason why our episodes normally take at least an hour and a half to record, but only For an you know, hour long have, episode. have an hour of content in them. But I'd say that's really, I mean, as far as quirks, that's all I can really think of that comes to mind. Uh, otherwise, I got no, I, nothing, nothing I can think I of. Know, I mean, you somebody, listen to crazy people who tell you to go start a nonprofit. I do have a habit of, yeah. Well, I, I also, though, um, yeah, that's, that's true. I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm very impressionable. So there you have it, David. All right. Good to know. Well, Zach, thank you for joining us for our 500th episode. Made it the easiest episode ever because we didn't even have to talk about topics. Hey, anytime, guys. You let me know next time you're uh, if you're ever having a, a week where things are tough. Uh, you can give me a call. I'll, I'll ramble all you need. And congratulations, congratulations to you guys. 500 for a podcast to go 500 episodes, 10 years. Uh, I have a hard enough time writing a blog post on the Gamers Average website, let alone recording a podcast every week. So, uh, oh, Andy keeps me honest about it. <laughs> That's good. There you go, Andy. But, all right. And we look forward to reporting on the outcome of uh, your fundraising attempts this year. Hey, so best uh, of luck. Thanks. I appreciate it. I really, we really, uh, we're really gunning for it. So uh, I think it would go well. But thanks for the support, guys. All right. Well, uh, once again, that's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Random Access Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, suggestions, remarks, reviews, rebukes, retorts, or just rants, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at RAPodcast or send us an email at mail at RAPodcast.net. Thank you for listening. <laughs>